As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You use that bloody American style again here and you'll be far. Like you playing in the show, play American. Well, don't play the bloody American game. Get off! Woods is beaten. Leilas, the substitute, has made it United States 2, England 0. Best still has it. I don't believe this move. He's oh! That's the greatest soccer goal I've oh! ever seen. Oh! Oh! Pinballs to Rooney. Rooney sees Roel. He is an English legend, uh, Darren Huckerby, and he is one of the great stars. You might learn something. About soccer? Not about soccer. And for fuck's sake, stop saying soccer. Can we ever accept the word winningist? Why were we so obsessed with Bob Bradley's soccer vocabulary? How much damage did Green Street do for US-UK footballing relations? And just what is it about bald American goalkeepers in the Premier League? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Soccer Clichés. Okay, with me for this very special episode of Football Clichés. First of all, Pablo Maura, The Athletic's Explorer-in-Chief of US Soccer Niches. Welcome, Pablo. Thanks, I'll take it. I gather you spent an entire day searching through the U.S. Soccer's Hall of Fame archive, which is something like 30,000 cardboard boxes of, of football ephemera. What sort of goal did you find? I'm, I'm kind of hoping that after all those hours of looking through, you found the goalkeeper for the Diana Ross penalty from 1994. They have everything from the 94 World Cup there. Much of it's like never been opened. It's on pallets. So I just looked at it and I was God. like, I can't go on the Diana Ross wild goose chase. Found a lot of stuff there. I mean, I was there working on a particular piece. You know, an example would be they had 30 boxes of news clippings from, I think, the U.S. Soccer Federation's old president. I opened a banker's box and there was a large, thick folder, manila folder just hand-labeled anti-soccer. And I was like, all right, what is this? So I pulled it out and it was just, I mean, there was hundreds of newspaper columns from decades of coverage in the U.S. that, that were just like, soccer will never make it in America. <laughs> it was like fascinating. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff there. It was it was definitely just sort of like a, a dumpster diving kind of uh, glory. You know, it was it was uh, exceptional fun. Well, I'm glad they kept hold of the naysayers just so they can yeah. pin it up on the dressing room wall one day and let them know how it all went. Alongside you, in a virtual sense, we had well, we shattered our salary cap this week because from the crack Eastern Seaboard outfit, the New York Times is Rory Smith. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right. I don't know, you've got a very important role to play in this in this particular episode. Here I am in the UK. Pablo's over there in the US. You 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 you're you're a British writer writing for an American newspaper. This this puts you in a very well unique I'm a, position. I'm a bridge builder. Bridging cultures. There's not many subjects. I suppose I'm in a good position to talk about this. Probably one of them. I suppose just about I hope anyway. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into the um, the nuts and bolts of. Of, of the language of, of football slash soccer. And um, I think you're going to be able to help us particularly with that. Before we get started, though, we have some, we have some minor points of order to, to get through as we normally do. Rory, first of all, I've noticed during the kind of pandemic era that um, Sky Sports' Martin Tyler is starting to let his hair down a little bit, I think it's fair to say. And there's a corner. <laughs> a fader. 
pervading the Manchester City defenders. And Sterling still going, out comes Melie, and in a bit of a melee, ends up with the ball. Yes, Luke Ayling has epitomised the drive that's got leads back into the game when they were ailing to be honest in the first 20 minutes that's the perfect hat-trick there of verb noun and adjective punning tyler is uh he's starting to enjoy himself i sense well the pandemic is the one that he's really he's mm. really gone for like he's he's pleased with that but I, yeah i don't know i wonder whether well have you got like a working theory that because he, he's having to do more work the commentators have to do more work at the moment because the scene the spectacle won't kind of do it for them are you thinking that he's trying to step into the gap left by the, the absence of fans that's probably the more diplomatic way of putting it I was going to go as far as to say he's absolutely lost it just as, <laughs> as most of us have but yeah maybe it's just the sheer workload don't know Pablo this is one of the many things I'm going to cross over the Atlantic to, to just pick your brains for because over here we, we seem to have a disproportionate obsession with our commentators and what they say even though they really they are just there to kind of tell us what's happening nothing more than that do you have the same fascination with you, with your soccer commentators in the US yeah I mean I think if anything fans here have a, a fascination with with soccer commentators from the UK I mean I think anytime that uh, there's an opening in MLS or a team sort of uh, makes actually not MLS at any level USL you know the the go-to is a UK commentator I think right why is that it's an example of people in the US game trying to sort of press fast forward and adopt some sense of authenticity. You know, I think mm -hmm. authenticity and the real home of the game, whatever you want to say, it's obviously to a lot of U.S. fans associated with the U.K. I think some of it might be, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, marketing to fans who are sort of choosing the EPL over their product. You know, so they, right. they think that we can at least make it sound like the other product. But um, it is a little jarring to hear, like, John Champion talk about the grilled shrimp at the concession stand of a Minnesota United game. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how well it's working out, but certainly, yeah, there's like an obsession with, with commentary, especially British commentators for sure. I think if there was one commentator that I'd want to kind of represent us, I think John Champion is, is a kind of, represents a good cross-section of, of what we're all about. So I'm actually quite happy with that. Yeah. This week, Rory, Transfer Deadline Day, we talk about it every year as this great jamboree of football transfer administration and that sort of thing. But this season in particular, I I just noticed something a little bit more desperate and a little bit more grubby about it. We're traditionally getting excited about clubs signing players for lots of money. It just felt that this year, a lot more effort and a lot more blood, sweat and tears was going into actually getting rid of players. Take, for example, you just, you're seeing players sent out on semi-reluctant loan deals right at the last minute. That's quite a kind of sad corner of the transfer market right at the end, isn't it? So yeah, there's something slightly debasing about like seeing players, and I don't, I don't know why why it's them, but like FC Porto signed quite a lot of players on loan after the deadline shut. Now it may, it, forgive my ignorance, it may be that the Portuguese window was still open for registration beyond October the fifth. I think but, it's for an extra day. Yeah, yeah, they got Felipe Anderson from West Ham and Marco Rodriguez from Liverpool, and you just sort of think, well. So Matt Rodriguez and, and Felipe Anderson gone to sleep on October the 5th thinking, all right, do you know what? I'm staying here. I'm still in the Premier League player. And then they've got a phone call at eight in the morning. Listen, Felipe, here's the thing. You, you go into FC Porto. There's just, it, there's something like, this isn't a reference that will cross the Atlantic, but like, there's something like universities clearing about it. Like you've, <laughs> yes. you've missed out on your first choice. So now it's kind of, it's the, just whichever one will take you. We, it doesn't matter whether they don't even have the right, have the right, course yeah like you thought you're doing english it's actually maths but you know you can go just get out it flies in the face of everything we're we're we've become accustomed to in the transfer window she's kind of unveiling videos and talk about dream moves and things like that and these are very kind of kind of low-key almost off the cuff moves i don't know whether this is, is like a trope you've picked, picked up on if anyone would do it would be you but like these are the unveiling videos are like 20 set like dramatic music like mm. the, the graphics kind of just like Thomas party, 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 party. Yeah. It, that looks like a, again, at risk of giving away my age and nature. They look, they look like a Jumbotron WWE thing. Yeah. Of like, you expect <laughs> to see Thomas party like walking down to the ring and in, in just like a spandex leotard. I think they just expected that is now the base level for it. The worst ones by far, the, the, like when they make them juggle in front of like a sponsor background on the, like, oh, yeah. Serginio Dest, this US national team player, his unveiling at Barcelona, he was just like, mm struggling to even like 
do balls. It was horrible to watch. Please stop making players juggle balls at the Bernabeu in the new camp. For some reason, they put them out there like they're a seal in a circus or something. Make them take like, corners or something. Yeah, something exactly actually that right. actually happens in football. I reckon that would be get them to like make a like a long bursting run down the <laughs> yeah. run. Like that's what you need. Like like a press. Like yeah, you see his <laughs> defensive work rate. You see that? That's you know. <laughs> Last thing that I need to cover in this opening section, a kind of beyond parody development this week, Rory, which is which is Gunnosaurus. Up until maybe two days ago, if we were talk to, talking about Gunnosaurus, I think I'd know what level of irony we were operating on. I think we, yeah. we, we'd both be all right. I don't know where, we are, where we're at anymore. I, I don't know who's being serious about Gunnosaurus anymore. I think, I think we're all being very serious about Gunnosaurus. Because... Really? Well, yeah, is this because... a symbol of anything? Or is it, is it this is a guy... I mean... I, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously online, everything is, is saturated in so many layers of irony. You can't, yeah. you can't, when people are like expressing their sympathy for him on Twitter, like how much of it is actually like, isn't it funny that it's Dronosaurus? There's something inherently comic about Dronosaurus, which I think maybe Arsenal don't quite realise that there's mm. a lot of the kind of appreciation from him is totally ironic. There is a deeper level of seriousness there, which is that Arsenal have, have made a completely unnecessary PR uh, what's the word? What, what word am I allowed to use? Like cock yeah. up? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. That, um, like, if you're going to sack people, which you shouldn't be doing anyway. Certainly not. If, certainly not if you're signing players. Like, don't sack the people who everybody can identify with immediately. Like, mm. sack. Your, they sacked 55 like scouts, and that's that's really bad. And I'm not not for a minute like condoning it. But they sacked 55 scouts, and apart from Taji Gao, who was the one who destroys all their good players, yeah, no one, no one can kind of identify with those people enough to express sympathy but literally the entire football world can identify with the the kind of the fella who's been Dronosaurus for 27 years and is is you know towards the autumn of his mascotting career I guess. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean what do you mean the fellow who's been Gronosaurus? Well, well he's he, he, you he's mean Gronosaurus right? He's the man that I don't <laughs> it's like a Santa thing he's there are rumors that okay so he ate, don't tell he ate somebody then, or I'm just yeah, kidding. exactly. It's like Dinosaurus. Dinosaurus. A lot of people don't know that Dinosaurus is actually an apex predator. Yeah, yeah. and he he ate a human, um, and that man is inside Dinosaurus, and now is homeless because Dinosaurus doesn't have a job anymore. I'm curious about the idea that that mascots can peak, like goalkeepers or something. I'm not sure what age <laughs> we're talking about here, but um, that's for an entire different episode, Rory. Thank you, um, uh, Pablo. We're going to get right to the to the core of this episode straight away, which is the word soccer. If I can offer a piece of audio that kind of sums up this cultural tension straight away, here it is. It is the theme song from Pro Evolution Soccer 2008. We're gonna play football. Please explain to me uh, just just how much how much of an insecurity do you feel about the word soccer, if at all? I've come full circle with soccer. I, I I would say soccer proudly at this point. Like I said, I think the the people in this country who are you know who refuse to use that word a are unfamiliar with the history of the game globally. Probably just the again mm. we won't talk about the origin of the word soccer, but it it originated overseas, not in the United not in the United States. And second of all. Um, you know, it's it just goes back to this this crippling insecurity, this desire to be to be loved and liked by people that that these fans perceive as the the true mm. you know holders of the keys to the you know the world's <laughs> game or whatever whatever you want to say. I, I really don't care. You know, like um, I mean, the thing is, most MLS coaches even. Yeah, most people, most even players in MLS use the word football now. Um, sort of makes me sad. You know, Ben Olsen, the 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 coach of DC United here, who's a, like a lifetime MLS player as a player born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, played for the yeah. US World Cup, says football. He also says the MLS instead of just MLS. <laughs> right. So it's like it, it is it is sort of spreading, you know. But no, I I will proudly call myself a soccer fan. Whatever. I don't know. Probably has lost a bunch of credibility, but. 
Rory, clearly this is about ownership of this word. It's been in sort of mild dispute for what seems like decades, but I've seen you make this point quite a lot of times on Twitter and you make it incredibly well. Britain's strange relationship with soccer, we seem to embrace it a lot more than people would accept. Whenever I write anything, the vast majority of people quite correctly disagree with it. The line of attack they broadly choose, this is the easiest one, is to say that anyone who calls it soccer can't be taken seriously. Yeah. It's my job title is soccer correspondent. Mm. now, I personally don't call it soccer because I'm from Leeds. Mm. <laughs> but, so I call it football uh, to separate it from rugby league, the other sport. And the, but the, I've never been one of those like, one of these like soccer, these anti-soccer kind of fundamentalists. My dad, who's from Leicester, calls it soccer. Wow. And he calls okay. it soccer, which quite a lot of people of his generation yeah. would have been intensely familiar with that term from not just from kind of things like Charles Buck and soccer, soccer annual and and you know all these things if you go back matt, matt busby's autobiography was called soccer stories i think yeah absolutely absolutely there's, there's low soccer was a word that we use basically maybe not interchangeably but certainly frequently in this country i think until the 70s or 80s it was rampant in the 80s absolutely yeah. rampant and i don't know whether it's been whether it's been kind of what's the word uh undermined because it i don't know if it's been kind of caught up as, as like a almost like a yuppie word do you know what i mean like we, yeah. we kind of look back on it as a as a as a the sort of thing that they said in the 80s to try and sound modern and cutting edge and, and different mm. or maybe even to differentiate it from football which was always kind of which was a loaded term effectively as, low, as football was not the cultural phenomenon in the 80s that it is now it was poured drawn upon maybe maybe there was a kind of subconscious attempt to rebrand it as soccer to make it feel more fitting and more apt for the, for a modern for the modern world whether there's some sort of reaction to that i don't know but what always surprises me is that that soccer still appears really frequently in our everyday lives mm. but we don't seem to notice it until an american or someone who works for americans or someone who is perceived to be american uses it so you just played the pro evo soundtrack pro english mm. soccer no one ever yeah. thinks i bet you know i bet konami don't get loads of letters saying actually it should be pro evolution <laughs> football and equally, like it's soccer AM on Sky. Yeah. yeah. I, does Tim Lovejoy, whoever presents it now, have to deal with? Well, what, why is it not football AM? You let soccer Saturday. You know, I'll do like a BBC like TV hit on MLS. Um, while it was like every time Wayne Rooney would get arrested for public intoxication <laughs> or something, and then it was you know other other things, you know, like. And um, the first thing I swear to God, the first thing the presenter will always say is, "You call it soccer, we call it football. Let's get that out of the way." And I'm just like, it's so deliberate and strange. I just mm-hmm. don't understand, you know, like, I mean, it's set in good fun, obviously, but I, I just, it's it's always been bizarre to me. It spiraled out of control because I, I don't think, um, I don't think one side thinks about it in the same way that the other side thinks that they think about it, if you see what I mean. So this is how it's kind of all spiraled out of control. But um, I mean, to take Soccer AM, for example, Rory, they didn't have to call it Soccer AM. No, there was a, no. I mean, Soccer Saturday is just a nice bit of alliteration. It kind of it flicks yeah. off the tongue. Soccer AM was obviously a deliberate choice. And uh, I can't imagine they were trying to break the US market with a with a breakfast show on a Saturday morning. So, uh, problem, I mean, the timings don't work out. That's the main problem there. Um, <laughs> the, but it also, it's things like World Soccer. Mm. You know, World Soccer Magazine is, is kind of as as old guard gatekeepery as you could hope for. That is not a magazine that's kind of, it's not like Mundial, which is like hipster and trying to be different and, and cute and, and all that, not to criticize Mundial, but World Soccer is kind of read by, I would guess it's, it's demographic skews older. It's, it's kind of relatively hardcore, hardcore football fans. It's, it's as mainstream as it gets and it's World Soccer. No one, literally nobody thinks, why is it called World Soccer? Yeah. It, I mean, that's gonna be called World Football. It, yeah. the, the fact that World Soccer is called that is testament to how commonly it was used. Yeah. And probably the same with Soccer AM and Soccer Saturday. Soccer AM obviously definitely dates to the early 90s. I guess Soccer Saturday does as well. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that it, it may, maybe that was before this kind of hardline, you cannot call it soccer yeah. thing came in. But I just, it's a really, really strange bit of, of a really strange sort of what's like mental block that we have. And it's the other response that I tend to, and it, I'm glad that you've noted that it's, that my response is always the same because it is. Just <laughs> no, it's a good point. You're just happy to keep repeating. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
soccer, Pablo, is is the tip of a, a very large iceberg when it comes to our shared or not shared language about this particular game. Because whilst there is this historical hang up about Americans supposedly saying soccer, from my perspective, and I, you know, over the last year or two, I've watched a lot of Netflix documentaries about sports I don't really understand. And it'll take about 10 minutes of, of absorbing US sports jargon. Uh, and two things emerge. First of all, I understand the sport almost instantly. And secondly, you're just really good at it. Sports jargon is, is, is not a, it's not an easy thing. It's not a very easy sub-language to, to maintain, but, but America does it incredibly well. You talk about sports superbly. So perhaps we should maybe give you a little bit more credit for it because I'll watch an NFL game, for example, and I don't really know what's happening. But within 10 minutes, all of the phrases just kind of go into my brain and my brain goes, hang on, yeah, this all makes sense. Everything you're saying, even these weird little phrases, not even necessarily technical things, um, they just think well, that's the best way you that's the best way to describe it after all. So all credit to you. If one thing's obvious is that the US sort of um might have pioneered and embraced the spectacle of sport and sort of um you know <clears throat> imbued uh you know what's pretty previously pretty stale event with some entertainment value. And I think uh, the language of the language of sports in the US sort of reflects that. Um you know, the thing that always comes to mind is like old NFL films, uh, or, you know, the American football sort of highlight reels that are narrated by this guy, John Facenda, who's like a, you know, essentially like a, a Hollywood, uh, you know, you'd, you'd hear his voice in an action trailer or something like that, you know? Yeah. So I don't disagree. I mean, some of the stuff is, is a little cheesy. If you hear somebody saying that, you know, the players are riding the pine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's just like, you know, makes my skin crawl a little bit. Rory, do you know what riding the pine means? I'm going to guess that riding the pine means being a substitute. Yes, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's nice. It's, it's a lovely it's phrase, a lovely yeah. Way of it. There are still elements of, of the soccer language which, which still jar. I'm going to run through a list, quickfire list, which, which will range in its fairness. Starting off with winningest, Pablo, it's, it's just a word I simply cannot get on board with, and I don't think anybody should. Oh, like the, you know, the winningest team in the league's history or something yeah. like that? Yeah, that just sounds like a grammatical catastrophe, right? <laughs> yes, it does. I'm not sure what's up with that one, honestly. I don't, I don't hear it super frequently, so maybe it just... Maybe the rare times that, that it is said, it just it sticks in your brain a little bit more more violently than mine. I worry that it's going to start making sense to me, then I will start using it because I just think, actually, yes, this is absolutely fine. Yeah. Pablo, you may use some or none of these, but cleats, oh. uniforms, fields, upper 90. Yeah, I use all those. I use all of them. Do you? I mean, not upper 90. That's, that's a, little, it's a little ridiculous. You know. What's upper 90? Upper ninety would be like the the quadrant of the upper uppermost quadrant of the goal. Yeah, the postage stamp. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a bit too clinical, a bit too sterile. Upper ninety. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, cleats or instead of boots. You mean? I guess it would be boots. You'd say boots. Yeah, cleat is the worst word in America. <laughs> it's. I can see Rory getting like getting getting like visibly uncomfortable with the word cleats. No, so like field. I don't mind at all. Mm. Field is fine. And I think to be honest, I think probably more than we think British people would probably use field slightly interchangeably and you immediately know what it means we say off the field issues yeah, for example on field. So, yeah yeah actually and then a distant cousin of this I frequently edit some of our Scottish writers they use not even in a kind of passing sense they will say park oh yeah instead that's, of pitch. That's, that's what I was just going to say park is the one that really when I see it in American sports writing I'm just like come on like you're <laughs> at this point you're just like you're you have like a like a, a UK like phrase generator on your desk that's just sitting <laughs> nobody says park here you know like or, or on the day that's another one or on the weekend mm. uh all oh, right know, those things to me I read them and I'm like nobody says that here as a final note actually cleats inevitably Rory actually comes from the middle English cleat or something does cleat refer to to, to the boot or to the stud yeah it could be both I mean, if, if you say, you know, I got a new pair of cleats, that, which, excuse me for saying this, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable again, but a new, a new pair of cleats, that would be like a new pair of boots. Um, the cleat, I, that was also the physical stud. Yeah, it's on the, the stud itself, it. yeah. Yeah. The, um, I have, does ath athletes, like track and field athletes, wear cleats? They do. And that, that's to mean spikes. I mean, I just think that there's a lack of definition in the word. It's, they're making it do too much. The uniforms, I don't mind particularly, but... I do have a, I have a reverse problem when being edited that I occasionally forget and use the word strip. Oh, wow. Our editing process sometimes involves like people who aren't sports editors being drafted in. Mm. They invariably find it not just baffling, but slightly offensive. 
Oh, God. It obviously sounds like something else. And they're like, you'll get this big sort of yellow mark. It's not red, but like yellow mark saying, what what does this mean? And you'll be like, well, it's a strip. It's just a strip. So is, that the closest, is that the closest you've come to being sacked over, over a mere grammatical issue? <laughs> I, I would so. hope so. I don't mean yeah, yeah. else. They're, they're not mentioning it. But yeah, so I, uniforms is, is, again, I think we're so exposed to American culture that most British people know what that means straight away. Yeah. And they might kind of read it and feel it's a bit American, but they know what it means. Well, I don't know if this is a notable case study or, or one that flew under the radar a little bit, but this to me is a real life case study that sums up all our insecurities about the, the way that American people talk about football or soccer. And it was Bob Bradley's ill-fated couple of months at Swansea City back in 2016. Uh, I'm going to play you this clip. It's from it's actually from two and a half months into his job at Swansea. So this wasn't even the opening day. This wasn't him being sort of cornered straight away. This was two and a half months in. He was actually sacked about five days after this, which is perhaps quite telling. And uh, I just feel quite sorry for him throughout this. 95% of my football vocabulary um, fits without a problem. The football vocabulary also has, has phrases that come from, from different places. But there is a part in American sports, you know, if the San Antonio Spurs have a bad game um, playing outside of San Antonio, Greg Popovich will say sometimes we're not good enough on the road. So, yeah, every now and then a little of that comes out of me, but not too much. The idea that it, it draws attention, I, honestly, I don't even know what to say. Uh, and then, look, it, it's, it's part of the deal. I had a situation after a game in France where I said, uh, it's important to get a clean sheet. And they looked at me and said, what's a clean sheet? Right? So, you know, this, this is football. But uh, again, 95% of my football vocabulary fits without any question. And every now and then, you know, there's something that uh, comes out. And, and look, I'm, it, it wouldn't make sense if I sounded exactly like everybody else. The biggest part of this challenge has nothing to do with whether I say uh, penalty or pitch or field or whatever. Bob Bradley here. I mean, you know, such titans of British football, such as Danny Gabadon and Dean Saunders, um, expressed sort of genuine concerns about his accent, about how how seriously he would be taken in English football. Um, he was he was described in one newspaper just after he started as a drill sergeant. This is comical. This is a comical way of of analysing a an American manager in English football, isn't it? Yeah, that was, and even just listening to Bradley there, it's sort of deeply depressing to me um, how apologetic he sounds for the five yeah. percent of his. Uh, of his language that he uses that occasionally bleeds into, um, you know, but it is, it goes back to that sort of insecurity. I mean, even listening to that clip when he says San Antonio Spurs, I'm just like, ah, it is ridiculous. I mean, especially given the fact at, at Swansea that people were focused more on that than the absolute catastrophe of a team that he was forced to play with. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting though that what kind of stands out to Pablo is is Bradley's insecurity and his, his, his desire to kind of apologize for, for not sounding authentic. But to me, I just think I, fa I found that whole, and I, I know Bob Bradley a, li a little bit, so I kind of want, I want to broadly wanted him to do quite well, also quite good professionally to have an American coach in, in the Premier League. That whole incident, I just think really spoke really badly of what Britain is like. And partly, partly the media, but it was a really bad example of how the football media works, that there was this thing that he kind of, that we latched onto and everything else went out the window. Any kind of analysis of his, of his team, it was all down to, well, he's an, basically it came down to he's an American, he will not work out because Americans can't. Americans don't know about football. Why would, why would you hire an American? What are you doing? He's American. That's, and he's, but the way he was presented, and he did it a little bit with managers who refused, refused to speak English still, and you case it with someone like Ranieri if their English isn't great and, or doesn't sound great. This sneering contempt for everybody else, I just thought the whole thing was a really kind of embarrassing kind of insight into the English character. No, I think the, the two things go hand in hand, right? I mean, I think you, you, that attitude certainly exists. And then the, the reason it strikes me as sad, because it's like watching somebody get bullied and you know the only thing that person wants is to like sit with the bullies at their lunch table or something like that you know what I mean? <laughs> there were genuine concerns if for want of a better word raised about his his pedigree as, as a football manager he came from he came from the second tier of french football that, that was worth analyzing but it but that still got took over by by a sort of 
beyond parodic kind of analysis of what he said, because it got to the point where they were analysing things that he hadn't actually said, Pablo. Bob Bradley said in a different interview, he said, somebody said something about offence and defence. I've never spoken like that, and I've never used those words in relation to football. The idea that somebody throws that out there is just garbage. It was getting to the point where he was having to kind of deny some sort of scurrilous accusations that he'd done something terrible in his past. That was really weird. That's truly strange. By the way, do you guys not say offense and defense? I'm very happy never to say those words again for the next 45 minutes. It's like going forward and something else. That's whatever. (laughs) We say defense, but obviously we pronounce it slightly differently. But that's a great example of it. Like... We, we all know what they mean. Like mm. footballers, bear in mind that even that, that Swansea squad would, would have been largely, well, may not have been entirely like native English speaking. It certainly wasn't yeah. entirely native English speaking, but the majority may not have been native English speakers in that Swansea team. Joshua Robinson at the Wall Street Journal um, actually went through four hours and 22 minutes of Bob Bradley press conferences at Swansea and to examine the actual language that he used, Pablo. And um, he said he, he used clean sheet perfectly naturally um, instead of shutout. He used dressing room instead of locker room. He used supporters instead of fans, training instead of practice. He never once used the word soccer um, outside of the context of being accused of using the word soccer. And um, he adeptly negotiated some of the finer points. He correctly, he correctly pronounced Tottenham as Tottenham. The extent that, that they had to go to to kind of fight his corner, and this wasn't a hugely passionate piece, it was just pointing out the obvious, because said, said quite a lot about his, his, the, the battle he faced, uh, as futile as it was. I would push back a little bit against, you know, you said that there were questions about his pedigree. He comes to the French second division. He also coached multiple national teams. Yeah, and yeah. won everything there was to, uh, you know, there's, there, there are all these things that sort of gave him advantages that some of the <clears throat> some other um you know manager appointments in the EPL or even the championship mm-hmm. um have a far less developed resume i mean i think like if you're an american going over there obviously you have to like be you know be twice as qualified as the the brit or whatever who would normally get the job bradley himself before he even arrived kind of made that point about people getting certain jobs in English football that they perhaps didn't deserve, which is yeah. just quite a bold thing to say before he'd even arrived. But um, essentially the fallout of all of this was um, he, he lost his job. And I, I, I wouldn't go as far to say he was hounded out of English football for the way he spoke. That simply wasn't the case. But um, it, it, it ended with this cultural rubble. This is the only way I can describe it, which is Soccer AM's Brad Bobley. Oh, God. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brad Bobley. My Brad Bobley soccer camps went down so well in the USA, I brought him over here to the UK. In this next video, we'll be demonstrating some basic soccer techniques. I hope you enjoy them. If not, you can kiss my uh, Rory, we should be just be thoroughly ashamed of this collectively, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, uh, the it seems strange to them to be making a joke about the fact that he has soccer camps. Uh, yeah, that, that was, um, I wasn't aware of that. But that was appalling. I'm willing to lend them a little bit of benefit of, of, of the doubt and, su- and suggest that they're perhaps laughing at themselves there. But that seems like a cop out. So I'm not going to. Pablo, th- this trend has kind of continued a little bit because um, you may be aware of a, of, a, of, a, of a comedy character called Ted Lasso, who has made something of a, of a comeback. He was created back in 2013 when NBC won their Premier League rights. And he was he was created as a kind of kind of gateway figure. He was he was. The idea of Ted Lasso, who, who, whose character was a, an American football coach who, who took over Spurs in the Premier League. And he didn't know what he was doing. And that was where the humour was derived. And, and from the American perspective, he was created as kind of gateway to US fans to say, OK, you know, um, this is we're going to be covering the Premier League and we're going to have a little bit of a laugh at ourselves. But that's seven years ago. And now on Apple Plus, they've created a whole new series of Ted Lasso. Who now who takes over this fictional team in in the UK called Richmond something or other, and he is their coach, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and he says silly things, and uh, well, let's pretty much sum it up in this clip, and I'd like to get your take on on whether this is a particularly outdated way of doing things. A bit of news from the other side of the Atlantic: AFC Richmond announced the hiring of their new manager, American football coach Ted Lasso. You're an American who's now in charge of a football club, despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. I know that AFC Richmond is going to give you everything they got, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. You see that? He must be from England, yeah. Wales. Is that another country? Yes and no. How many countries are in this country? Four. Pablo, do we really still need to be joking about Americans who don't know anything about football? 
I mean, the funny thing is that, you know, the, that show has been pretty well received over here, even by, even by people who know the game, people who write about mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly we're still, look, if we, if, if as Americans, if as American soccer fans, we lose our ability to kind of laugh at this and take a joke, I think it's going to be a pretty dark, you know, stretch of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but listening to that, especially when it's sort of super cut into, into one dumb thing after another, it is sort of painful, um, you know, uh, in, in a weird way. It's just, uh, it is incredibly outdated. Uh, I am entirely ready for, for that cliche to die, but not holding on to take decades. The U.S. could beat England in a World Cup, which is, <laughs> which is a, a, maybe the most improbable statement to say on multiple accounts. And I will get to that, change. don't you worry. Yeah. We're going to get to yeah. that. There is an element of, of role reversal, though, Rory, because... Um, on the kind of isolated instance where US celebrities, for example, tend to come out of nowhere and endorse lower league English clubs in, in a very kind of incongruous, jarring way. And it gets to the point at, at that stage where I think we start to patronize ourselves. This, this huge American celebrity is talking about our game. Oh, this is, this is lovely. So there is a, there is a flip side. I'm thinking Ryan Reynolds at Wrexham, Michael Jackson at Exeter. I think we have a really strange relationship with how we want America to view football. So to, to, to one, it's on one side, to some extent, we're desperate to evangelize the game to, to America. We see it as kind of, in the same way as we still kind of obsess a little bit, even in the era of Spotify, about British, band, British yeah. bands doing, doing really well in the States. Yeah. We, we're kind of, there's part of us that wants to convince the Americans to see the, the, the error of their ways, that this is the greatest game of all. Like, your sports are fine, keep them. You know, we've still got other sports as well. They're, they're okay. They sort of rub along nicely. But football is the best game, so you should like it. Yeah. But then as soon as Americans do like it, we go, whoa, it's our game. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't like it. You don't like it properly. You don't like it in the right way. You don't talk about it in the right way. You're not very good at it. You, on the road, who knows what that means? It's just completely baffling. You're speaking a different language. Like, it's away games, obviously. Locker yeah. room, no idea what you're talking about. Sorry. And I think that that, that shines through with with the kind of the, the twin response that we have to, to American kind of intervention in the game. So to some extent, we, you know, we, we take great pride almost in seeing like, you know, NBC taking up Premier League rights or the fact that the Premier League have signed their, the biggest ever TV deal in their history in the States or whatever. And that's great. We see the viewing figures from the States. And we think this is brilliant. And at the same, on the same level, we kind of resent it because we feel as though they're taking our thing away from us. And I think that, that applies particularly to football, but probably applies more broadly across British culture to an extent. Nevertheless, it does still just feel very strange when Shaquille O'Neal says both the words cobblers and six fields. Just wanted to wish Kelvin and all the cobblers best of luck for the rest of the season. First place is where I like to be, and it's great to see you guys at the top. I know what it takes to win championships, so you got to make sure finish strong and do not give up that intensity. Looking forward to coming to Six Fields at some point to see a match. Pablo, after essentially 40 minutes so far of thinly failed cop-out holding up of American stereotypes when it comes to football, I, there's still something that warms my heart when Shaquille O'Neal talks about a League One or League Two football club. So, yeah, there's something juvenile in me that still gets quite pleased about that. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I stand at all anymore. Yeah, I mean, I well, you could say this. I think you could say the same thing in a way about about musicians over the years who will get wildly popular popular in Europe or the UK, and then <clears throat> simultaneously say things like, you know, you have to make it in America to be truly big, right? I mean, there's there's an element of that to 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 global soccer that I see when La Liga, EPL, all these leagues are setting up. U.S. outpost. Certainly, obviously, this is done purely for economical reasons. It's just a huge untapped market. But but I do sometimes um, see the contradiction in, in being so protective about something and then also simultaneously actively trying to market it, market it to people. Um, there is an element, what Rory said reminds me of, you know, when you when you do have sort of a favorite band that is, is yours and your friends and then they blow up and everybody starts liking it and you're like, oh, no, wait, wait a minute, this was my thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, um, but no, certainly there's, it's, it's, it's a contradiction for sure. I had not heard the Shaquille O'Neal clip that that's incredible. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Pablo, uh, one kind of place where football culture collides with respect to the UK and the US most effectively, or perhaps most ineffectively, is the soccer film. And I, I know this is a, a preoccupation of yours. Uh, you're the only person I know who implies that he's watched every single film that features a dog playing football in it. <laughs> I've never, I never said that. I've, that can't be held to account on that, but you know, it's fine. I mean, I am a huge fan of the, particularly the American soccer film um, of the 80s or 90s, sort of like Body Kid meets the NASL or something like that. Um, so that's Hotshot. I, th- I think you're, you're you're flirting with the idea of talking to me about Hotshot. You're one of the only people I could even talk to about Hotshot. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Hotshot is, it's, it's it was made, it's, it came out in 1987, which, bear in mind, was like three years after the NASL folded, but it was uh, one of uh, four feature films that Pelé starred in. I have seen them all, unfortunately. Right. Um, uh, quick detour. Another one is about him taking over an, uh, an orphanage, and it's called A Minor Miracle. Oh wow! Uh, pun intended. <laughs> That's uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, takes over an orphanage in San Diego. Anyways, Hot Shot is uh, is a story of Pelé, who is now retired. This uh, this player from the what is it, the New York the Rockers, New York the New York Rockers. Rockers. Yeah, that's right. Goes and finds Brazil or uh, uh, Pelé in, in like a jungle in Brazil, and says. Uh, says, you know, I need you to teach me about soccer. And then there's like five or six Karate Kid style soccer montages. Of course, Pele is initially reluctant, but he's then persuaded. Exactly, exactly. Right, you get lots of clips of Pele screaming like, I gave up soccer. I don't play soccer anymore. Then like booting a soccer ball into the jungle, you know. Um, It's an incredible film, it really is. Everybody should see it. (laughs) Rory, you're probably more familiar with Escape to Victory, which is a film I'd like to think you have seen. I have not. I've never seen Escape to Victory, no. Why? I've never seen Why any haven't of the, you watched it? The, you, you, you would be standard, Adam, by the, the number of films I've not seen. So, you, I mean, it's not just football-related films. It's, it's E.T., never seen it. Quite a lot of those kind of iconic childhood films. Chief soccer correspondent of the New York Times, and you haven't watched Escape to Victory. It doesn't come up much, Escape to Victory, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I kind of know the plot. In a nutshell, it is probably the most, um, I mean, absurd storyline apart. It is the most convincing depiction of actual football action any film has ever achieved, funnily enough. Better than When Saturday Comes? It is. It is. to Yes, it is, because there are a number of um, bugbears I have about When Saturday Comes. I mean, the fact that they, ho- they host an FA Cup semi-final at one of the club's grounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of, lots of things. And they should have got it right. You know, there were some very sort-of-the-earth people who made that film, and they still got it wrong. But I think that if there's one film in which US and UK influences collide, which we can all agree is an absolute horror show. I think it is indeed Green Street. Hey! Oh my God! Oh, so good to see you! You too. Was there a terrorist attack? What happened here? Oh, welcome to Match Day Madness. Tottenham was in town last night. You a soccer fan now? Oh, don't let them hear you say the word soccer. Who's them? British Empire. Pablo, Elijah Woods, uh, chucked out of Harvard for covering for someone else's drug offence, um, travels to London to see his conveniently located sister and becomes, oddly quickly, a West Ham hooligan. Is it Elijah Wood? Is that, Am I remembering? Is that his? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 Terrible. Terrible. Uh, Rory, what was, what was going on with this film? I believe the second one, which I've not seen, is even better, isn't it? There is a Green Street 2. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, Green Street Two. Uh, for some absurd reason, all the protagon- all the minor protagonists of the first Green Street, are suddenly find themselves in a unnamed uh, U.S. penitentiary. But That's it isn't right, actually. Yeah. It isn't actually. No one ever says what country it's in. It's just this dusty desert location. But no reference is made of it being in America whatsoever. Uh, and then, well, because that would be in violation of quite a lot of international treaties. I think. I, if, I mean, if, I, I, don't, I don't know about what the. Um, that's a level up on, on having an FA Cup semi-final at Bramall Lane. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a completely different planet. And then, and then I think the franchise reached Green Street 3 and 4, which was no. never backed down and then stand your ground, which is essentially the same instruction. 
without wanting to be like overly serious, there is a bit of a kind of like Bill Buford among the thugs, like there is an American fascination with hooligan culture. Well, in fact, to be honest, there's a British fascination with with hooligan culture as well. So you can kind of see, I can get why they kind of thought that that might be a good idea for a film, but I don't know enough about the movie industry why to, 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 to answer why, having seen the final product, no one had the ability to say, actually, no, that didn't work at all. Let's not do it. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose it's high time we actually talked about actual football, Pablo, rather than all these, these cultural irrelevances. Another kind of myth I'd like you to bust either way, especially this season, a lot of penalties are being awarded in, in the Premier League, which leads to more goals. We're seeing a very a crazy season in terms of goal scoring. And, and, and one Twitter conspiracy theorist posed to me that these law changes were designed to give more penalties and, and therefore result in more goals because it will appeal to US audience. Can Americans really not handle low-scoring sports? Uh, I, I I always thought that was sort of like a preposterous kind of kind of thing. I mean, that's that's not what it is. I, I will say, maybe early on, people people may have struggled with ties, you know, draws. Excuse me. I've never bought into the low scoring thing. Certainly, you see, like you know, Major League Soccer when they started, they they were petrified of the low scoring thing. That's why they had shootouts. They had you know yeah. all these sort of little rule rule wrinkles to encourage scoring, but. I've, I've never bought into it. In fact, if you see, you know, any, if anything, you would argue that as MLS has done away with all these rule changes, it's grown in popularity to mm-hmm. a certain extent. So I think they may have figured out, took them 25 years, that U.S. fans probably prefer something closer to what's played internationally. You know, I, I don't. I love shootouts, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, we've spoken before about the, the authenticity angle, this kind of, this compunction from somewhere that somebody has to keep up this pretense of being authentic in someone else's eyes. But when it came to the real technical points, Rory, um, the NAS, NASL sort of MLS style shootouts that they had to avoid a drawn game in, in the regular season, on the face of it, not a terrible development, even though obviously eventually they did have to fall in line with everybody else. That's It's not a terrible idea. No, it's not terrible it makes perfect sense yeah. and you wouldn't necessarily I, I suppose as a as a purist or a traditionalist or whatever you wouldn't necessarily do it for for drawn games in the, in that, like this, the regular season but I, I i don't think there is any reason any logical coherent reason why that style of shootout is better or worse than the penalty shootout like it it doesn't it doesn't it's more natural Have football, isn't it? I mean, I, I can, I can yeah. make, I could make ten arguments why it's better. Honestly, it's oh, no, no, so, so, no. I, I would say, if anything, yeah. it is better because, as, as as Adam says, it's it's a more a more natural kind of, I guess, reflection of skills required during a football match. Mm. But it's it's certainly not like automatically worse. But there is a, there is a there's a strong like gatekeeper element, I guess, within within all sports where people come along and try and change things and and. I don't know if it's if it's with nationality, although I think that it's it's particularly pertinent to the British with football. But there's a generational thing of this isn't what I grew up with, so it must be wrong. This is this, this I don't like this change, and I presume I don't remember it, but I presume there were people around the time they changed the back pass rule who were like, "Well, no, oh yeah, of course, shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I mean, don't mess about what you're doing, messing about with the game." But that that's what leads modern football to being what it is now. If you if you leave the back pass rule in, then Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp don't happen, basically. Pablo, when did they do away with the with the shootouts? When did it like uh, I think two thousand or two thousand one? I mean, I, to to Rory's point, I think it's to expand a little bit. I wrote I wrote a, a longer thing on the thirty five yard shoot and the NASL and the um, and MLS. And statistically, I mean, in the in the four years they used the shootout in MLS, traditional PKs like just during the you know ninety minutes of the game converted. I want to say like seventy five to seventy six something like that percent of the time. Yeah. The 35-yard, the breakaway shootout was it was literally like a 50-50 split. So my thing is just it gives it, it puts the goalie on much more even footing. Um, like you said, it's a simulation, natural action that you might. Uh, it's a bit of a stretch to say because you rarely see a one-on-one breakaway, but it's a lot closer to natural action than just a, a shot, you know, with the, from a dead ball from the PK spot, obviously. Um, uh, and fans loved it. You know, it's like you just anybody who watches one of these is honestly like, this is incredible. And it's only that sort of uh, the insecurity. And I think in the, you know, in the uh, abroad, any soccer idea, football idea, whatever you want to say that comes out of the United States, is just dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, if, if, if it was like, you know, the Netherlands or, you know, England, Spain, France, whatever, that's sort of pioneered this, I think you might see it, you know, people be a lot more receptive to it. And, and ironically, man, a lot of these rule changes they trialed them in the USISL in the in the early 90s, the sort of the 
minor leagues in the U.S. And the committee that came up with this stuff, you know, Renus Michels was on it, and all these huge global soccer names were like, yeah, let's let's yeah. try this. This is exciting, you know. Yeah. So it's just it's absurd to me that it's never been and it never will get a look. Uh, make no mistake, but like FIFA or IFAB, whatever, should really sort of like take a look at at, at adopting it. It's just it's just more fun, man. You know, for all the the wild experimentation of. NASL and early years MLS. Um, it didn't. It didn't prevent the US getting one over on on England. In one particular notable example, Rory, is 1993 when they beat Graham Taylor's England in in the slightly odd US Cup, which I guess was kind of a USA '94 warm up event. And um, if we can just indulge in a little bit more self flagellation for a moment, uh, the Daily Mirror um, the day after that two uh, 0 defeat. So we can't get any lower. It was an abject failure against a third-rate soccer nation. The Express said English football died of shame last night and the coffin could be draped with the stars and stripes. England stars have been beaten by a collection of college boys and second-rate professionals. Uh, the Sun headlined with Yanks 2, Planks nil, And the Mirror uh, wanted dead or alive Graham Taylor, the outlaw of English football, and it had his glum face featured on an Old West-style flyer. Um, there are so many aspects to that response. Where do we start? Uh, just with an apology, I think. Yeah. An apology to to all concerned. No, it's um, I mean that was a. Uh, I think second rate professionals probably could have summed up quite a lot of that England team, couldn't it? There was there was. I mean, England massively overestimating the abilities on footballers is a is a trope that applies to lots more people than than just games against the United States. But it's that, that I guess is is evident certainly of how America was viewed until I guess until the, I don't know twenty ten maybe when it was a kind of an acceptance that when England drew, drew with the States at the World Cup. In South Africa, there was a maybe, I don't think, I don't remember the reaction being quite that furious that, that they'd drawn with America. Yeah. There was there was disappointment yeah. that England weren't playing very well. Mm. But I don't think there was, you know, that was a team that had recognisable names in it. We, we knew of some of the American players, so some would have been unfamiliar. Yeah. But, you know, people like Clint Dempsey and London Donovan and presumably about 15 goalkeepers, they would all have been <laughs> Premier League players or people we had heard of. Mm. And I think that maybe suggested that something had changed a little bit. But even now, to be honest, I think there's a there's a sense that the states is not a is not a, a, a country that should be taken seriously in the men's game. The women's game completely different. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the US, the US MNT has not had great times recently. But if you look at kind of the players coming through, you would assume that performances will improve in relatively short order. Do they now have? four or five players at really, really big clubs in Europe who should be able to perform at a, at a good enough level to compete on, on uh, not to win a World Cup or anything like that, but not to get knocked out by Trinidad and Tobago, for example. We weren't as devastated by the 2010 draw with the US because we were so familiar with some of their players. It does still feel, though, that American players in the Premier League are still a slightly odd curiosity. I, I've got another clip to play you because this is, this is a very strange... Um, pre-FA Cup final segment that the BBC did about uh, Christian Pulisic. Still only 21. He could be the best American import since friends. How are you doing, Christian? Pretty good so far. First of all, friends is terrible. Um, <laughs> but whatever, it's not saying a lot. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's awkward to say the least. But again, um, I... I at least from over here, it seems like there's some strange fascination with the U.S. Um, from from you know from most of Europe, and I'm not surprised to to hear that. Um, again, I'm ready for that to die, but it's good. I mean, honestly, man, it's going to take a lot more than you know. If you look at Christian Pulisic or you know Weston McKenney or Sergio Dest, any of these guys, you know, prior to that, whatever, you know, Dempsey, Brian McBride, mm. you know, uh, Friedel. Keller, all these guys, it's going to take more than like a dozen guys uh, hacking it in the UK to sort of get rid of that mm. trope. You know what I mean? It just is. I mean, that is a lot, you know, when I, and I'd probably missed like half a dozen, you know, like, so you'd think at this point it would be a little bit less of a curiosity, but um, I think it's just going to take time. That was stupid, but I'm not offended by it. <laughs> if you look at kind of TV promos for players, of whatever nationality there's probably a degree of of playing with stereotype yeah. and finding finding kind of slightly awkward ham-fisted links into you know something about i don't know italians and coffee or ice cream or whatever or french people and baguettes i don't know like there'll be some sort of 
weird, totally unnecessary, jarring mention of some national stereotype, just because it kind of familiarizes them to the audience. But I think with, with American plays, there is still that sense that, and novelty is the right word, like we, we still think it's interesting that there are Americans playing football, which we really, we really should have grown out of. But this is, Pablo, unfortunately, a country that grows out of things very slowly. Well, I mean, the same, same, thing, happens in the US, same thing happens in the U.S. with basketball players from abroad, you know, from China, from wherever. I mean, it's like, you know, um, it, it's, it's still viewed as sort of an oddity, even though that, you know, basketball is so deeply established in Europe and tons of players come, come from there or even the Far East. So I kind of get it, you know. I, I just wish they'd picked something different than Friends. But whatever. <laughs> As prejudices go, it, it's a fairly honest one. It's, I mean, when I was a kid, if if I if I ran into an American who played soccer, or or I heard of a soccer player, I think, well, how on earth did you come to be playing that when you were a kid? You had so many other things that you could have been doing sports wise, and you and you and you chose football. Yeah. Um, Rory, you you almost stole my thunder with this point, but um, I, I feel obliged to. Um, to dig into the disproportionate number of bald-headed American goalkeepers that have graced <laughs> the Premier League. Uh, your you Brad Friedels, your Brad Guzans, your Marcus Harnemans, Tim Howards, and eventually, despite having started out with an exceptional mullet, Casey Keller. Yeah, it, it seems that Americans have always... There are definitely stereotypes in positions and the stereotype that English football's had of Americans. Although I would, I'd actually add in two... When I was a kid, two of the players I liked the most were American. And there were John Harkes and Roy Weatherly, who who was Weatherly was a brilliant sure. footballer, like a really really good player to watch. And the Harkes was a bit more of a sort of industrious, hardworking midfielder. Um, but we've, there's obviously been a stereotype within within English football that Americans can be goalkeepers. And I, I guess we, <laughs> what tends to happen there is that you get one who does quite well. And I would guess the first one must have been Friedel. At Liverpool? I, I believe the first one was Sylvester Stallone for the Prisoners of <laughs> yeah, War okay. in 1981. Yeah. Because you wouldn't know because you didn't watch it. So um, maybe derelict maybe, of duty. Maybe that's where it started yeah. from. Maybe people thought, well, if, if Stallone can, can stand between the sticks, then we're then we're he doesn't have to be riding the pine, well, then we're fine. Right? <laughs> well, they're all about the right age, so it, it could it could well fit. I mean, Pablo. I mean, I mean, apart from. Uh, this this point seems almost too obvious for me to make, but perhaps we just think, well, Americans must be good with their hands. They probably grew up playing American football. They must be good goalkeepers. But there's this there's this separate perception that um, it seems until relatively recently that American players who come over are all instantly great athletes. Just how just mm-hmm. like the same way that we think Scandinavians are well organised, and it's I mean that can't always be the case, sure. It's definitely not always the case. I mean, certainly you would hear her. At the goalkeeper thing, I thought there might be an element of like, I'm reminded like when I was a kid and you'd play wiffle ball, which is like, you know, a baseball with a plastic bat. And like the kid in the neighborhood who just was terrible at it, you'd be like, all right, you can be like full-time catcher. It's like all this guy does is just catch the ball and throw it back to the pitcher, never hits, something like that. Maybe, you know, British people used uh, American goalkeepers as like a gateway to yeah. let them further up the field slowly or something <laughs> like that. Um but yeah, certainly the cliche about American players is the work rate. And I, I think that just extends into the cliche, probably World War II era cliche of American people as hardworking or pitching, <laughs> salt of the earth, blue collar, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. All things, all things, by the way, that are sort of like thinly veiled in, in, in like, well, you're not good at the skilled part of the game, you know, mm-hmm. but you're hardworking. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- those, those things certainly apply to, and certainly not every Trust me, not every American player is hardworking. <laughs> no, of course. You know. Rory, I mean, despite the obvi- more obvious obstacles that the women's game has in, in various other ways, it does at least benefit from not having that same sort of baggage. I mean, we have a handful of genuine US superstars playing in the English league over here, and they don't, they don't, they don't feel like they, they exist under that same bubble of curiosity that, that, that male Americans do. No, because we, 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 if anything, believe, sort of regard... American women's players has been the equivalent of what Brazilian men's players or yes, I suppose so. it, Italian male male players a few years ago, whatever it's that, that you know we accept that they are the the gold standard, the best in the world. Um, I'm one of the things that I think is most interesting about women's football at the moment is is how your are you like an idiosyncratic European style develops because you could see at the World Cup last year that there's, su- there's such awe for 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 the, the USWNT that I think a lot of teams try to ape their approach to France had this squad full of really technically gifted players, but seems to be playing quite a sort of physically dominant style that didn't really suit them. And obviously they then go, go up against the States and lose just the Americans are doing what they're good at and the French are not quite as good at. 
And I am interested to see how it develops over the next five, 10 years, whether Holland, the French, the Italians, the Spanish, whether you start to get these kind of native styles developing as we've, as we've got in men's football and how that intersects with kind of the fact that it has been an American dominated sport for so long. Um, but in terms of the players, yeah, they are, they are seen as, I mean, certainly Alex Morgan is, what would the, the equivalent have been in sort of the 1990s Premier League? It would be Hullet, maybe? Yeah, we've been sort of top three Ballon d'Or winners, didn't you? Yeah. I don't know, yeah, but yeah. And you've got someone like, like Rose Lavelle, who's potentially kind of a, a game changer in terms of the, te- the technical level of the game in this country. That I don't know, I don't know what the equivalent would be there from... Because the, the WSL is in the same period now as the Premier League was in like 94, 95. It's, exa- it's exactly the same thing that's going, that's going on. Um, but they they will they will lift the level of level the interest in and the level of the game in this country and they they don't have any of that baggage because although we have all those preconceptions about Americans generally that tend to be applied onto onto male football because the the, the thing we know most about American women's players is that they are the best in the world yeah they are just seen as superstar Pablo I don't know I don't know the extent to which the success of of the American women's national team feeds into this but there's this kind of lingering perception that. Uh, perhaps just by sheer numbers, that US soccer will eventually achieve what is deemed to be world domination, as if this is some sort of evil plan for US soccer, that eventually, you know, it's just the sheer numbers of them. Once they will start playing, they can be terrible. It's the same same with China. Everyone just assumes that uh, that's what they're after. Uh, you know, eventually they'll reach the top of the game. And, and perhaps that's this doomsday scenario for English football fans of a certain vintage, that America might one day be better than everybody else. Do you think that's a, a living fear? I mean, I, not really, because you, uh, that's been proven over time to not even matter. Obviously, how tiny nations that qualify and make deep mm-hmm. runs of the World Cup in a lot of ways. I think logistically, it's easier for those countries. Obviously, there, there are probably fewer players that slip through the cracks. Um, people in this country have been saying more children play soccer than any other sport since like the, the 60s, you know what I mean, or 70s. It, it doesn't really mean anything, you know, so... No, um, that might be an unfounded fear. Until the federation gets its act together and gets, uh, you know, you still see tons of dual nationals in this country, you know, going to Mexico or other countries. So it's, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> I think we're finally at peace with with this cultural tension between us when it comes to football. I, I think we've solved, we either solved or at least just looked at a, a number of very odd things that I really wanted to talk about. So I'm glad we've kind of ironed them out to a certain extent. I want to end on a lighter note. We're going to have essentially a penalty shootout between you. Pablo, I'm going to offer you some teams from the preliminary round of the FA Cup this season. And Rory, you're going to be taking defunct US soccer teams. Okay. And uh, all you have to do is tell me whether they're true or false. Pablo, you will go first. All right, let's go. Corn. Corn? Corn. Uh, can you spell it, please? Q U O R N. Uh, I'm going to say real. Uh, yeah, correct. They exist, and they are indeed, the town is indeed the inspiration for the meat <laughs> substitute product. Right, okay. Um, I was wondering. Uh, Rory, okay, you're one nil mm-hmm. down already. I know. First one for you, the Tulsa Turbulence. Fake. It is indeed fake. 1-1. One, one. Yeah, that was, that was one abstract noun too far, perhaps. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Pablo, here's your second one. Lester Nirvana. Lester Nirvana. Um, I, I'm just going to say real. I'm just going to say real. Yeah, it is. It's real. Um, I've got nothing more to add to that. It was FC Nirvana and they merged with someone else from Leicester and, and, and that's where we got to. Oh, well, 100% so far. Rory, here we go again. The El Paso enthusiasm. The El Paso enthusiasm. Uh, fake. It is fake. 2-2. It's not quite, that's not quite it's as... bombastic enough, like, is it? The, yeah. in, exactly, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, don't analyse my thought process for some of the questions. That's not what you're here for. Just answer the questions. Pablo, number three, Melchester Rovers. You know, that one sounds real, so I'm just going to say fake. Yeah, it is. Ah, oh, yes. Well, I mean, fake Is, Mel- is Melchester sense. at least a real place? No, it's, it's not. It's, it's a fictional <laughs> football team for whom Roy of the Rovers played an inordinate number of games in a comic um, over the last four decades but uh, strictly speaking they're not real so that's three two to you Rory you can level it up uh, the Buffalo Phillies and uh, I should point out this is two F's in Phillies two F's two F's the Buffalo Phillies <laughs> that has to be real yeah it's real 
Um, a bit of background here. Um, the team name was conceived as an equine homage to the Buffalo Stallions, who I, who I understand were the men's equivalent. The two Fs were introduced to ward off accusations of sexism and in an attempt to make the name more memorable. So that's why. What era? Uh, what era is this? Sorry, it's like 60s, 70s, 80s or what? Uh, I think they were around for one season in the mid nineties. Okay. A lot of these, a lot of these teams, um, at least the real ones, pretty much existed for about twelve months. Yeah. Anyway, it's three all. Nothing. Nobody is giving an inch here. Um, Pablo, number four for you. Coventry Sphinx. <laughs> uh, real, real. Yeah, yeah, it's real. I don't know what the inspiration is, but it's real. Egyptian tie-in and Coventry, I guess. Yeah, or... so some, some, you know, a cynical attempt to break the lucrative Egyptian market. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, uh, Rory, number four for you. The Myrtle Beach Sea Dogs. That's S-E-A-D-A-W-G-S. The normal spelling of Sea Dog. Yep, yeah. that's fine. Real. Yeah, they are real. Um, uh, little backstory here. Laura Davis, the golfer, played mm-hmm. once for the Myrtle Beach Sea Dogs. I think it was the uh, the lowly USL Division 3 back in 1997. And she played for six minutes against Tim Howard. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And uh, so so if you go onto a Wikipedia page, her football career is actually listed <laughs> underneath her golf career. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favourite footballing stories. Women's golfer Laura Davis playing for the Myrtle Beach Sea Dogs. Anyway, it's for all. Number five, Pablo, the Renford Rejects. Oh, I mean, it sounds fake, but it sounds like a fake one you would have met. It's real. No, it's fake. The Renford Rejects was a mid-ranking children's TV show uh, in the mid to late 1990s. And so they're not real. So this is the, to win it, yeah, here we go. Rory. This is it. This no. is the entire cultural debate over football and soccer comes down to this I'm going to take a really long. I'm going to take a really long run-up, but have a time limit. <laughs> the Finger Lakes Heartbreakers. Please be real. <laughs> the Finger Lakes are definitely a place. Fake. No, they're real. Oh. Finger Lakes Heartbreakers. I can't believe you. I can't believe you've you've made me continue this quiz <laughs> even longer. Do you have uh, tie-breaking questions now, or not? Oh, we've got loads more. I've got like fifteen. Don't worry. Okay, on, on we go into sudden death. Uh, Pablo Shipshed Dynamo. Real. Yeah, they're real. Uh, their home ground is located on Butthole Lane. What? <laughs> no, stop it. That's where their stadium is, Butthole Lane. Uh, yep. So that's five four. Rory. Mm-hmm. I'm, t- I'm still tense. The Kalamazoo Outrage. Kalamazoo sounds like it's more likely to be in Australia. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say fake. They are real. No, real. really? Yeah, that's it. Oh. So, 1950, 1993, <laughs> 2020. Three huge embarrassments. <laughs> Thanks versus Yanks all over again. It really is, isn't it? Guys, thank you so much. Uh, as I said, I think we've now made peace with ourselves. I think that, um, the self-flagellation of our, of our coverage of American soccer uh, can end, Rory, can't it? Yeah, I, 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 I suspect that the number of people telling me that I shouldn't call it soccer on social media will remain the same, despite our best efforts. No, but it's you been, underestimate the influence of effort. this podcast. <laughs> and it's low four-figure audience. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Pablo, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you unearthed in the archive. And I just want to know if you did indeed put on the outfit for the uh, USA 94 mascot. Yeah, I put on the 94 costume and the 99 nice. World Cup. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the costume didn't fit because I'm a, I'm a big dude and apparently it was made for a child. Uh, fun fact, they, have, they had eight of those striker costumes. They oh, nice. had eight World Cup 94 mascot costumes. Uh, I guess for all the venues, but really was tempting to just walk out in one of them or something, but you know. I look forward to seeing you in the Gunnosaurus outfit next season then. Um, (laughs) uh, Cheers both. Thanks very much. Lovely to have you.